Alright, moving on to what we're going to look at today. If you've got a Bible, can you go to Joshua chapter 3? We're continuing our series through the book of Joshua. We've got to chapter 3 this morning. Before we read that though, let's just, I want you to cast your mind back to the summer. Um, feels a long time ago now, doesn't it? Mid-October, it's getting cold and dark. I woke up this morning and it was just dark. It's not very nice, but... During the summer, we had a bit of time off, which was lovely, and we went to um, visit some family who live in Ireland. They live in Northern Ireland. And so we planned over the summer how we're going to go and visit them, and we were going to go on a ferry. And so we booked um, the ferry thing. I'd saved up some money during the year, and I said, right, we're going to go and see the family. And we said to the kids, we're going on a ferry, and they were dead excited about this. So we booked the ferry ride, and we were going to go from Hollyhead, which is in North Wales. We were going to get the ferry across to Dublin, and then we were going to drive from Dublin up through Ireland into Northern Ireland to see the family. It was just a simple plan, and we kind of planned it where it was going to work out during the day, and we'd kind of get to uh, my brother's house in Northern Ireland about tea time, have tea, put the kids to bed. It was all going to work like clockwork. So we got to the ferry port... Uh, we, we were, kids were going very excited, these big boats. We got on the ferry, and if you've ever been on a ferry, you park the car down below with all the other cars, and then you go up to, to the top decks where the passengers are, and they seal the bottom so you can't go um, back down to your cars. You have to take all your bits up. We'd managed to nab a good spot. This ferry had these big glass front, so you could see where you're going. We had a table, and we put the stuff out, and it was kind of lunchtime, so we had some lunch. We were right by a soft play area for the kids, so they could go berserk in there next to a kind of cinema thing they'd set up, which had a free film. I think it was the, the, the Batman Lego movie was running on a loop in there, so they could go and watch that. And so it was just like, this is going to be good, and we're going to go across the sea. So we'd go out on deck, have a look. Everything was going really well. And then we started to steam out the harbour in Hollyhead, and, and then the captain came on the tannoy. And the cap- this is the captain. And he says, um, you know, we're going across. And he said, oh, just to let you know, just to let you know, and you're thinking, mm, just to let you know, um, one of the engines is broken. And I'm like, one of the engines implies you've got more than one, but one of them's broken. Okay, that's not good. And he says, so we're going to make slow going across the Irish Sea to Dublin, and we're going to be late when we get there. I'm like, this isn't good. We've only, I can still see land. We haven't really caught our harbour yet, and already something's broken on this boat. And I'm like, fine. And so as we start to pull out the harbour and we're crossing across the Irish Sea, you can see the other ferry that left behind us. I clocked it, and it started to overtake us. And you're like, oh, come on. You know, like being the slow land of a motorway and something's going past you. And then you're thinking, okay, that's fine. We'll just be a bit late. And then uh, we, I was talking to the boys, and Asher started to go a little bit kind of pale. Ashley, you're right. You're right, Ashley. says, no, Dad, I feel dick. I feel sick. And I'm like, oh, crumbs, we've got a sick kid. And so, right, okay, let's, um, let's lie you down. It's a bit tired. If we can get you to go to sleep so you can sleep most of the journey, then hopefully that will be all right. And then we sort of started to settle him down, and we found a booth, and we lay him out. And then, then, and then, then that I didn't start to feel too good either because it was pitching the boat, and I was just like, oh. And I noticed next to the toilets there were convenience bags. That's what they're labeled. And I'm like... I think I might need one of those. And so I was, Ash was on one side of the booth. I just started to go green. Mel said, so I lay down on the other side of the booth. And when you're five, you can lay down in the booth and have a sleep fine. When you're 42 and six foot tall, it's not so easy. So I'm bent double trying to pretend to be somewhere else. 
trying not to throw up, and I had a coat over my head, like, oh, Lord, save me from this. And so we're doing that. And then finally we get to the other end across the Irish Sea, and I kind of woke up. And when I woke up, none of my family were there. I think I don't know where I am or where anyone else is. Um, and so he woke up, and he's like, okay, okay, we've got to get down to the car. So we get into the car, and we kind of pile all the kids in and all their junk they've taken upstairs, and we're about to drive off. And then the, the, one of the nice workers on the, in the ferry, he comes and knocks on the car window and he says, you might want to go back upstairs. And I'm like, why? I've been, I want to get off this boat. and I feel terrible. And he said, no, I think, think that there's something wrong with the bow doors. And you're like, oh, no, no. He said, no, they'll, they'll be fine. I, get it I said, we'll just wait in the car. Wait in the car 10, 15 minutes, and some, then the captain comes over the tannoy again. He likes that captain, if I ever find him. And sorry, so we're having experienced problems with the bow doors. Uh, they won't be done for another 45 minutes. You might, if you go back upstairs to the lounge, there's complimentary tea and coffee waiting for you there. And so my mood on the voyage of the damned has, 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 hit, has hit rock bottom. So we go back upstairs. Um, the kids think this is the best thing in the world because they get to go to the soft play area and there's loads of, most of the other kids, the passengers have got off. There's loads of space so they can go, wow, they think this is the best thing. And I don't know about you, have you ever written an angry text or an angry email? Oh, I went and found the CEO of Stenoline. Found his email, personal email, online and I, I let him know how I was feeling in a polite, courteous way and what I felt about the service he'd provided me that day and the condition of the Irish Sea. Um, and so... And so eventually, after about another hour, we finally got off this ferry, and we're driving out of the ferry port, and as you're coming sort of out the port into Dublin, into Ireland proper, they have, like, I guess, the equivalent of a kind of a border check passport patrol, and they have the guarder there, the police, the Irish police are there, and they're all armed, and as we're driving up, with me not looking happy and the wife, kids in the back, just junk everywhere... Um, you, can see, you can see him looking as we're pulling up, driving out, and you can see him do this. And I'm like, oh, no, no. And I start to slow down. And you can see him peer in, and I'm obviously giving him the eye. And you can see the kids in the back, and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> you, you're free to go into Ireland. And then we, we sauntered back up the, um, the Irish countryside and met my brother. But it was a pretty horrible crossing um, the holiday was excellent, by the way, at the end of it, but we didn't have a good time. And what we're going to look at today is another crossing. We've got to Joshua chapter 3, and we're looking at the crossing where the people of God are crossing over the River Jordan into the Promised Land. Chapter 3 and chapter 4 effectively come together. We're going to handle them in two parts this week, next week. But they, they come together. It's the same kind of story, just really sort of elongated, and we'll look at them in two bits. The story so far... Joshua has taken on the leadership of the people of Israel from Moses. Moses has died. Moses has been the one who led them out of slavery in Egypt. We read that in Exodus. And you have the, the wanderings in the wilderness. Joshua has now taken over. And he's, he's told them that God is going to lead them into the promised land. And God has said to him, you are to be strong and courageous. You're to be strong and courageous. You're to hold firm to my word, the word I've spoken to you. The promises I've given you, the promises I gave way back to Abraham, like 400, 500 plus years beforehand, you hold on to those. And as you take the land, you're meant to be obedient to what I'm saying. You're meant to be unified as a people, we've heard. You're meant to follow my presence. And then we saw in chapter 2, he sent out spies, good generalship, good leadership, recon the land. Go and have a recce, have a look around. And we found what happened. They met a lady named Rahab, a foreigner. Not just a foreigner, but a prostitute, right at the bottom of the social sort of ladder. And what happened to her? She made a confession of faith in the God of Israel. And she said, no, the, your God is the one true God. 
And all the people of the land are melting away in fear because God is coming to take the land. He's going to fulfill the promises. And she quotes a commandment to the spies. She said, I'll help you. And she throws off the pursuers. And they in turn say, we will, you'll be safe when we come and take Jericho, which we'll find in a few chapters. We'll, we'll see that story. But they said, put the scarlet cord in your window so we'll know it's you. Get your family there. Be safe. Rest under that. And we saw how that pointed to Jesus and the blood of Jesus that we as Christians, we rest under and we're free from judgment as a result. And now we're coming to the crossing of the Jordan. Now, the first five chapters of the book of Joshua are the preparation phase as the people of God are ready to take their inheritance that God has already promised to them. We've seen that Joshua is now the new Moses. He's stated the law. He's sent out the spies. He's now going to lead the people into the land. And the crossing of the River Jordan is considered by commentators the most significant event of the entire book. So I was given two chapters, a lot of, uh, um, a lot of time is given it, because here the people of God numbering... Possibly as much as a million of them are about to enter the land that God promised to Abraham hundreds of years before. Because when he came to Abraham, he said, what did he say? He said, you're going to have this land and your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. And they've multiplied from one man and his wife to this huge nation. And he said, you're about to take it. So this is massively significant. And again, like Moses leading the people out of uh, Egypt through the Red Sea that was parted, we're going to see it replayed again. So Joshua is filling this role as the new man of God's leader, the new Moses for his people. Um, so if we've got your Bible, let's, I'll read it out to you, but we're going to read Joshua chapter 3. It says this. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, that rude place. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried out by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that, that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribe of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its bank throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zerathan, and those flowing down towards the Sea of Arabah. 
the salt sea were completely cut off and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all the Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. All right, let's have a look at this. Okay, we're going to look at three things. First one, the instructions for crossing. Now, the River Jordan was a long meandering river that kind of marked the eastern edge of the territory that God had promised to Abraham. And so they were, they were outside this, they were on the land the other side, and we saw a couple of weeks ago that the, some of the tribes, two and a half tribes of the twelve tribes of Israel, had already settled in that land, but they were going to be part of what God was going, so they were sending their fighting men with them, and that nation was then going to pass over, so this was hugely significant, they were going to be entering the promised land. And so what has Joshua said, they've been, they've been camping at Shittim for some time since they defeated the kings back in Numbers, Shion and Og, and destroyed them and taken their land, the spies had left from that place to go and scout out the land and he said he said we're going to get ready to go so he sends out the officers we've met them in chapter one when Jeremy spoke they were just the ones who kind of had authority uh, like uh, officials civil officials and they said just get ready get the word out there get ready we're getting ready to move and then we meet the ark the Ark of the Covenant. It's the first time it's appeared in this book. It's going to come back. We'll meet it again and again. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was the most holy physical possession that the people of Israel had. If we go back to Exodus, when Moses had led the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, the Lord had spoken to him, given him the commands, the Ten Commands, given him the law, but also given them very specific instructions on building the tabernacle, which was a tent, a large tent, which was a precursor to the temple, And within that, there were certain items that were to be made, very specific instructions, a holy item. And in this tent would reside the presence of God. And this would be in the middle of the people. The tent would be built up and the the people of God would camp around it, a very specific place, each tribe in its place around it. And God would be in their center. And in the middle of this tent, in the most holy place, a cut-off area would be the Ark of the Covenant, which was a box, kind of about yay big, wood gold covered, um, that was represented the presence of God. On the top of it, there was a flat area called the mercy seat. And over that, two angelic figures, the cherubim, would be there. And that's where the high priest would go and sprinkle the blood on the Day of Atonement for the sins of the people. And so it was a hugely significant item they had. And inside it, there were three things. There were the tablets of the law, which had the Ten Commandments on. It had a a jar with the manna in that God had used to feed the people in the wilderness when their 40 years of wandering. So it had that. It also had Aaron's staff, Aaron being the first high priest, that had budded. And they'd put it in there. And God had used that as a sign to say, actually, I'm with you. Stop crumbling. And that was in there. So this thing was hugely significant. If you've seen the film, going back a bit, Raiders of the Lost Ark, anyone? Yeah, Yeah, good. Top film. Um, but uh, you see a kind of a replica there of the ark and you get the idea of that holiness, that presence and that's what it was. So this represented something incredible to the people but it could only be carried by the priests who were part of the tribe of Levi, the priests who were the descendants of Aaron and they, it couldn't be touched, couldn't anyone go up to it, it was far too holy that and it had to be carried in a certain way with the rods that were kind of put through the rings and they would carry it on their shoulders, four of them and they would, would carry it around and it would represent God's presence with the people but the, because it represents God's presence, God's holiness there were certain kind of rules around it and that was you don't get too close because it represents God and God is holy 
And you don't just get near to a holy God who is other and completely pure. You have to stand well back. And so he says, you've got to keep 2,000 cubits away. They reckon that's about nearly 1,000 yards. So it's quite a distance. So as the priests carry the ark, you follow it. Because the passage says, you don't know where you're going. You've never been in the promised land. So you've got to follow it, but you can't get too close. You've got to keep back. So you can see it, but you kind of follow it. If they stop, you stop. You don't want to get close to it because God's presence is on the move. And this would lead them, both spiritually and physically, lead them into the promised land, the presence of God. So there would be the ark would lead them away, and they've got to get ready before that. In response to that, there were certain commands. They had to consecrate themselves in reflection of who God was in his holiness, they had to be holy. So that would mean going through some ceremonial washings, uh, abstaining from certain foods, abstaining from sexual relations at that time as a way of consecrating themselves to follow God into what he had called them to and reflecting his holiness. And it says there that God would do wonders. That's a key word there. It kind of means miracles. And it's used when, um, if you remember back in Exodus, um, the plagues of Egypt that God sent uh, for Pharaoh because he was resisting him to try and get him to change his mind. Same word used. When the sea was parted, Red Sea, same word. This wonder, and it basically, if you're one of the people and you're hearing this, it says God is going to do wonders among you. Something big is coming for the people. And they were basically facing an impenetrable barrier, the Jordan River. So it was a huge river. They had to get across it. There's an awful lot of them, women, children, stuff they had. How are they going to get across this great river? But God says to them, there's going to be wonders. I'm going to do wonders before you. You need to keep your eyes on me. You need to follow me, follow my presence, follow the priest carrying the ark, and I will do great things amongst you. Next thing, the significance of the crossing. So he kind of started giving the orders. This is what's going to happen. And then God says um, to, um, the Lord speaks for the first time and he speaks to Joshua. He hasn't spoken since chapter 1 where he spoke to Joshua. And he basically says, this is going to be a fulfillment of your leadership, Joshua. What I'm about to do means people will recognize you as my leader of your people. Just like with Moses, certain things God had done through Moses, it would recognize that actually he's the chosen man. He's the one you should follow. He's God's appointed leader. And then actually they would know that God was in control and God was doing this. And the, the priests, it said, were to enter the water. If you're one of the priests, I don't know how you felt about that news. Okay, I'm carrying the ark, which is heavy and really holy, and I've got to go, I've got to go into the river. I would be a bit kind of, no, can we find a bridge? Or something like that. Is there any way to go around it? But actually, no, you've got to go into the river. And then Joshua gathers the people together and he says... Draw close, come listen, which kind of is a way of uh, thinking about drawing close to God, like prayer, like actually let's incline our heart towards God, saying, let's take this seriously, these instructions. And he's saying, God, he calls, if you notice, he describes God as the living God, as opposed to the dead gods of the Canaanites who we've met, that they would worship, the false gods. And he's saying, God is going to be among you. And this is how you're going to know that we're going to defeat the enemies. He lists all those tribes, all the ites. He says, actually, we're going to defeat them. We're going to drive them out of the land because God has promised the land. And the way you're going to know we have victory is because what God is going to do now. Part of the significance of what you're doing is to recognize Joshua as a leader, but also actually we're going to have victory against our enemies. This great event 
is coming. And then he even explains to them what the miracle would be. He's saying, actually, as the priests go into the river, it's going to be stopped. And if you see what he described, he calls the Lord the Lord of all the earth. Why do you call him that? Because what's he going to do? He's going to stop the river. He's going to show his dominance over creation. Actually, even a river is going to be stopped by him. And if, interestingly, what's, um, what's happening to the river? It says it's in flood. So rivers can be intimidating anyway, but this is one in flood. There would have been snowmelt on the mountains or something, and the water would have come in. We've recently seen images, haven't we, on the television, Texas, of what water can do. It's devastating. It's terrifying when there's a lot of it. And so they were facing a river that was deep and wide, and it was in flood. So it would have been even wider than normal. There would have been an awful lot more, and there would have been a raging current driving this thing down. And saying, actually, God says, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to stop it. And as the priests enter the water, the wonder that you will see, well, I will literally stop this river from flowing. And then we finally get the last part of the chapter, which is the miracle of the crossing, which is kind of the climax of where we're going. There's a little bit in there where um, we come to, he says you've got to get a man from each tribe to go in the river. We'll deal with that next week. That's just a precursor of what's going to come. But we get to the climax of what's happening in the chapter. And you can imagine what it would have been like because the ark would have been out in front of the people. You'd have had the priests carrying it. And they'd have drawn closer and closer to this river in flood. And they'd have been carrying it on their shoulder. And I don't know which, there'd be two priests at the front. Do you reckon they looked at each other and said, you go first? Because someone's got a, someone's got a, you know, well, we're here. And the two at the back are like, we've got these jobs. You go, you go, you go. And there's one of them. And it says they put their feet in the water. And what happened? It stopped flowing. The miracle, the wonder was this, this river that was in flood just completely stopped. It said it stopped and it, the, the river was backed up miles upstream to another town that they could identify. It stopped all the way up there. And then obviously the water this side just ran off and suddenly it was open. It had been parted just like he had um, parted the Red Sea for Moses. He was parting the Jordan River for Joshua. And it says the people could cross on dry land. So it didn't just kind of go, it dried up the land. They could just cross, walk straight across as if they were walk, walking across the desert, the wilderness. It was just a clear path for them all to cross. So they would have all crossed together across the river with the priest standing in the middle, holding onto it. And so. What we have is the one of God in his divine power has taken a penetrable barrier, opened it, and led his people by his presence into their inheritance, into the promised land. He's used Joshua as his appointed leader. Say, God, I'm going I'm to use this to exalt you and carry you forward. And we're all going into the promised land. For what has been they've been expecting for hundreds of years, what they've been looking forward to, what was spoken to Abraham and carried by his son Isaac and his son Jacob and their 12 sons, and then on and on through the generations, they're now finally getting to see for themselves. No one else had entered the promised land, a few spies, but actually as a people they were taking hold of their own presence. And God had done it by, in the most dramatic way possible by stopping this great river in flood 
and they could all enter um, together and enter into what God was doing to them. A few bits of application and we'll finish. Three things I wanted to take away from this. The first one, the holiness of God. The holiness of God. The ark represented God's presence. Most of the time it would have been in the tabernacle. They wouldn't have been able to see it. The presence of God would have been there. And it, 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 it represented something about God. God's holy. What does holiness mean? Holy means separate. It means pure. It means kind of other. That's what it is. And when, when God is described, he's described as holy. But he's not just described as holy, is he? When we read it, it's often he's holy, holy, holy. There's a repetition. What does repetition mean? In our current way of writing, I've got it on my notes here. If you want something important, you bold it, you underline it, you put it in a bigger font. Back then when they wrote, if they wanted to underline something, they just repeated it. So the fact that he's, he's not just even holy, holy. He's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, it says. There's something about God's presence that is so separate to us. He is not like us in any way. In that sense, in his essence, he is completely pure. He is completely righteous. There is, no, there is no shadow in him. There is no impurity in him. There is nothing in him of deceit or corruption in any way whatsoever. He is completely holy. He is completely holy. And this is something that should inspire awe in us because he is not like us in any way. And if we go through our Bible and you read about God's holiness, it actually appears in sheer volume more often than God's love doesn't mean one's more than the other, but interestingly, it's actually mentioned more. We like the fact God's loving, don't we? It's something we can identify with. It's something we know about. It's something we like to be on the receiving end of it. And God is loving, for sure. But he's also holy, and his love is holy. And we're told, like Joshua says, to draw close to that. Draw close to that. And God's uh, holiness is something that we should be dwelling on and thinking of us. And it should elicit a couple of responses in us when we think about the holiness and the presence of God that we've come into now, that we're worshipping him together as his people. The first thing it should elicit in us is repentance. When you come into the presence of holiness and purity, you suddenly realize that you're not. We realize, we recognize our own deformities. We recognize the things about us that aren't right, our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, the things that we've done, the things that we haven't done that we should have done. They are exposed when um, brought before God. Now we know that as a believer, as a Christian, we are holy. We've been made holy in Christ. That's our position. Nothing can change that. But we also recognize we get things wrong so often. So many things we do. And so when presented with a holy God, which our first response should be that of repentance. We've had 500 years since the Reformation. They're celebrating this year. Since Martin Luther nailed his thesis to the door of the church in Wittenberg, started the Protestant Reformation, which basically changed the world. Give rise to churches like ours, preaching the Bible, coming back to that, coming back to direct access to God, all about Jesus. The first thing he wrote in his thesis is the life of a Christian is one of repentance. All life. Repentance. Constantly turning away from our own way. Constantly turning from our own life. Turning towards God. Because we know we so often move on. And that's what our life should be like. One of repentance. And we know as we come, as we pray, as we worship, that's what we should be getting sorted out with God. If you've got things in your life that you know you need to get sorted out with God, now's the time to do it. The worst thing you can do is run away. 
The worst thing you can do is hide. That's what the enemy would want you to do to isolate you, push you away. The best thing you can do is bring it out to light, confess your sin, because you know what happens when you confess your sin? God is faithful and he will forgive you. And he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's a promise there, 1 John 1, 8 and 9. That's what he says he's going to do. So you bring that to him. If you're not even a believer here, then actually here's your opportunity. Here's your opportunity to make that choice. I'm going to follow Jesus all the days and nights. I'm going to turn from my own way of life. I'm going to turn towards him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to give up on the things that I want. And I'm going to, do, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. The second thing it should elicit from us is worship. This God is awesome. He is mighty. He is holy. He is so far above everything we could do. I talked about that ferry crossing. When you looked out on the sea and you're stuck in the middle of it and you're feeling terrible and there's nothing in front of you and nothing behind you but sea, it's pretty scary stuff. But our God created all that. Our God is above all that. He is awe-inspiring. He is just mighty. He is holy. He is just something so far above our understanding. And our response to a holy God is only one of worship and praise. The next thing this passage should teach us is the power of God. The power of God. God stopped a river in flood and allowed say, a million people to cross. That's power, isn't it? That is incredible power. We have men and women in this world who scrabble for images of power that, will just, that are not ultimately nothing, that will fade and be replaced. and We all want it, but only God truly has it. Power. And what that means is, Nothing is going to get away in for him fulfilling his promises. So for his people, that's your land. You're going to have it. There's a river in the way, God. It's in flood, it's wide, and there's a lot of people here. He said, nothing is going to stop my promises coming about. I'll just stop the river. And do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, give four, I'm going to get four guys carrying a heavy box to do it for me. And they carried a box, and the river is parted and they go across. Good news. That God is the same God today. He doesn't change, right? Yesterday, today, forever. The same. That means that power, that God we read about in these old stories that can sometimes be like stories and sometimes we can kidify them and they become quaint stories. No, they were they, they were they happened. God did this on a particular time, a particular day. He stopped the waters of the river. And that God is the same one at working him today. The question is, are you in awe and wonder of that God, the power that he has, what he can do? The wind and the waves obey him, we see in the life of Christ. Life and death obeys him. Lazarus, come forth, Jesus says. And what happens? A dead man gets up. Sickness can't stand before him. The demonic can't stand before him. Creation itself bows to him. As the Lord of creation, he has ultimate power. And what he said will come about, will come about. His church will grow and nothing can stop it. Not, not even the gates of hell, he says. Jesus says, he says, you go to all the world in my authority and pre- preach the good news to all people. And then the end will come. 
we can do this. And our question to you is, is there anything God's been saying to you recently? Something he wants you to do? Because it can happen on a kind of a large scale, it can happen on an individual scale. Certain things God's been asking of you, of your life. Are there things in your life that God's asking you to step out in and you're like, "Mm, I'm not sure. The river's going really quick. I might get wet. What happens if I get swept away? What happens if I step in and nothing happens? What are, you li- are you living in fear or are you living in faith of what God can do and what he's able to do? Is something holding you back from making some decisions for him because you, just, you, you have lack faith in what God's power is able to do? What's driving you? Is it fear that God won't show up or is it faith in his power that he can do what he said he's going to do? We're going to do a response in a moment and I'm going to encourage you to maybe make, make some kind of commitment to actually saying, if God's saying you do it and you're putting off, that maybe now is the time to trust him, trust his power and step out for him. Last one, the grace of God. The grace of God. Jesus is a better Joshua. Jesus is a better Joshua. Joshua took the people of God through an actual river to an actual land to inherit the promises that God had given them. Jesus takes us through a different Jordan to an eternal promised land that will never be taken from us. Jesus made a way where there was no way. There was a barrier between us and God of sin, our rebellion. Jesus made a way. He came to earth. He lived the perfect life. He died on death on the cross that we should have died in our place. He then rose bodily from death. He ascended to heaven and he made a way that anyone who chooses to come and have faith in him and trust him and follow him will one day go through the Jordan of death into life eternal. There is a better way. And Jesus made it into that eternal promised land. And that's the grace of God. Did the people of God in the story earn it? No. Did they achieve it themselves? No. God did it all. That's his grace for his people. He promised the land. He was going to give them the land. They just had to follow him through the river. And that's all it took. God's presence led the way and they just followed him afterwards. And that's all it took. And that's the grace of God. And it's the same here today with us. You don't have to earn anything. You don't have to try. You don't have to build it up. You don't have to, if I'm good, then God will do. No. Jesus has made a way. We just have to enjoy that. And we just have to walk into it. What's God calling to you? What do you need to walk into? What do you need to get dealt with in your life? He's calling to you. Just walk into his forgiveness by repentance. What's he calling you to step out and just walk into his power by faith? Because that's when if he's called you to do it, he'll give you grace to walk into it and achieve it. Do you want to stand? And I'll just lead us in time of response to finish. And then we're going to worship out of that and see if anything else has got, got to say to us. Do you want to just close your eyes? Maybe hold out your hands, whatever you need to do to engage with God. I'm just going to lead us in a bit of prayer. 
And at certain points, I might leave some gaps. And if you need, feel you need to do some business with God, then just do that. Now, he's here. His presence is with us. He knows what's going on. He knew that before you even arrived today, what was going to happen today. So nothing's surprising him. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you are here with us by your spirit. Lord, we want to thank you that you are a holy God. Lord God, we want to thank you that you are awesome and high above. Lord God, we want to thank you that you aren't just holy, but you are holy, holy, holy. Lord God, we thank you that in your presence there is just light and purity. Lord God, there is just something other about you that is incredible and awesome. Lord Jesus, we stand in awe of you, Lord God. And Lord God, we know when faced with purity and perfection, God, our own imperfections are shown up, God. And we just want to come before you today and deal with anything in our life that needs dealing with. If you know there's stuff in your life you just need to turn away from, deal with it right now. Just bring it to God, confess it, turn away, move on. Ask for his forgiveness. Receive it by faith. You have to take hold of it, believe it. And then say, I'm going to move forward from that. If there's someone you need to tell out the back of that, I encourage you to do so because there's power in confession. Even if you just confess it to one another and just say, look, this is what happened. But deal with that right now. If you know you're not a believer in Jesus and you want to make that confession, do that now. Confess to the Lord. Say, Lord, I've chosen to go my own way. I've sinned against you. I've fallen short of your standards. I confess that and I put my faith and trust in you. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. If that's you, I want to talk to you at the end. I'd love to just chat you through what what just happened there and that kind of thing. Lord God, I want to thank you that you are a powerful God, that you don't change. That actually that same God we read about parting rivers is the same God here and now with us. You haven't changed. You're still active in this world, doing incredible things, changing people's lives. We even heard that testimony this morning from Sarah, transform life, freedom from fear and anxiety. And Lord God, we ask you to just pour out your power on us, the people today. If you know there's something in your life God is calling you to do, an area is asking you to step into, somebody's asking you to talk to you, and you are shying away of that because of fear of what might happen... I want to pray for you right now. If you want to open your hands, that you would, the power of God would come on you in, and in faith you would step into what he's promised you, what he's spoken to you about. If you read through your Bible, when you see God do amazing things, it's on the back of people responding to him and stepping out. Sometimes it's relatively speaking small, sometimes it can appear big, but it's all men and women who said, I'm just going to step into what God has called me to do. I'm going to speak to that person. I'm going to speak up about this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go there. Even if it's, I'm going to stop doing that and start doing something else. Holy Spirit of God, we ask for your power on us today as a people. And lastly, Lord, we want to thank you for your grace on us as your people today. Lord, we thank you that you are a better Joshua. That you paved a way through an impenetrable barrier into a promised land. And not just a, a temporary earthly one that could get taken or other things, Lord, but you've led us into an eternal promised land in you. An eternal promised land in you, Lord. And we look forward to that. That's our inheritance now, but we look forward to one day taking possession of it in you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your wonderful grace that made all that possible. Nothing to do with me, 
Nothing to do with us, nothing to do with our collective effort because we have nothing to offer. We have nothing to give. Lord Jesus, it's all by you, it's all by your grace, your love, your mercy, your compassion on us. And Lord Jesus, as your people, we want to say we praise you, we love you. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.